Welcome to Radio Book Club on five at 5 p.m. on the first Monday of the month, which is today. This is Sherry Zollinger. I am your one of your hosts for Radio Book Club today. And of course, I'm joined by Jesse from the Grand County Public Library. Hello, Jesse. Good evening, everybody. And also, of course, I'm joined by Andy, who is coming in from Back of Beyond. Greetings, Andy. Good evening, good evening. We're happy to be here again, happy to come and talk about books, talk about events, what's going on at the library, what's going on at the bookstore. Thanks for tuning in. Happy to talk to you about the things we love, which are books. A couple of things I did want to say real quick before we get uh, talking with Jesse and Andy. We did have someone, a couple of people actually this month, wonder about where to find all these books that we talk about. And we kind of got a sense that it can be a little confusing, like, you know, you hear the the titles of these things, and you're trying to write them down. But what you'd really like is just a good old list on what we talk about uh, every month on 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 book club. So I'm going to let you know, the best place to actually find our list, the list, the books we talk about, and also the archive for the show is at kzmu.org backslash radio book club. That's kzmu.org backslash radio book club. You can find the archives and past reading lists of today's show. And just remember, it's not all connected or uploaded until Friday the Friday after the show. Now, if you want to do a re-listen, go ahead and just go to kzmu.org backslash kzmu-calendar. And there you can actually just listen, do a re-listen to the show and maybe get your pencil or pen and, and write this little list out. And I think we might try and get these lists at at our perspective um, places. Jesse, did you have some ideas on that at all? Yes, I absolutely do. Yes. Um, I have uh, plans to get a comprehensive list up, um, maybe hopefully also by the end of the week. We can uh, definitely get that going on the library's website. Okay, amazing. And then we we have a couple of ideas at Back of Beyond, too. We might get it up as a list on bookshop.org. And so... Just stay tuned. We'll keep you tuned. And a couple of times during the show, I'll let you know where those lists can be found on the KZMU uh, website. So we're here, happy to start this conversation. And the first thing we, we definitely like to do is just get some news from the bookstore and from the library and kind of see what's been going on this month. Uh, at both places. So, Jesse, why don't you go ahead and give us a little news? Sure. So, the library is in the in right smack in the middle of our winter reading challenge, uh, which has been a lot of fun and um, has had a great response from the community. We've been running it since the beginning of January, and it'll go all the way until the end of February. I encourage anyone that is interested to join. Um, you get a little prize just for signing up, and the com- to complete it um, is uh, is not very difficult to do at all. And you get a you get a completion prize as well. This is an online challenge where you uh, go to the library's website, and there's a couple of real simple steps to go 
to this uh, really fun online platform. Log how many minutes uh, a day that you're reading or whenever you're reading. And um, you get to, to uh, earn these uh, little cute little virtual badges. And um, you can do other things too. You can write book reviews. Um, it's, a, it's, it's been a really, really fun way to, um, to continue with our book, um, our book reading, uh, reading challenges and uh, reading programs, even, um, even under the pandemic circumstances. Um, it is called the Winter Reading Challenge. And if you go to moablibrary.org, there are quite a few ways on that uh, website um, where you can sign up to join the Winter Reading Challenge. And uh, it's for all ages, too, I'd like to point out, um, from little tiny babies being read to by parents <laughs> to, um, to any, any age at all. I um, like that idea of noting the time that you spend. I think that would push me to read a little bit more. It seems to have that effect. Especially on those days I don't, I wasn't going to pick up something. I wouldn't want to have a shutout day. You know, I got to get 10 minutes in. That's right. Turns into 30 minutes because you can't put the book down. Then all of a sudden, yeah. It's your literary Fitbit. Your lit bit, (laughs) if you will. I love that. The lit bit. Who's going (laughs) to create that little (laughs) lit bit? You know, that's really interesting because I did have a question to kind of juice us up a little bit. I had a question about what competes for your reading time. Mm. And so, Andy, we're going to come to the news of the bookstore, but let's just kind of reflect on that for a minute. What does compete? In, with with your reading right now it's this amazing amount of malaise <laughs> that i just am not yeah motivated to pick up much of i take a lot of books home still but i am really struggling with getting through the books mm. and it's it's just i think where we are in in life right now uh prior to that the the competition was not fierce because books were right near the top of, of my activity list. Hmm. And I've, I, we discussed this maybe six months ago, how reading habits have changed within the pandemic and it hasn't been a positive force for me. Hmm. So that's not a, a good sign for a, a guy who supposedly pushes books all the t- all day long. Likes to read. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's where, we, it's where I am. Yes. Jesse, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I kind of feel this, uh, the same way, Andy. Um, there, I find myself uh, doing doing things that take a little bit less focus. I, mm-hmm. I think I've been playing, uh, you know, doing crossword puzzles and playing games on the New York Times, <laughs> <laughs> New York Times little games app and uh, realized that, you know, a half an hour of my morning reading right, time right. just went by and... Um, yeah, yeah. I've read my my stack of books to talk about today is a little bit shorter than usual because mm. I've kind of kind of been reading less too. Um, some of that's been good. I've been hiking a little bit more with some of these warmer, sunnier days, and uh, um, yes, and some sometimes watching movies or television at night um, competes for my attention too. Um, although. Mostly, mostly morning times that I read. That you read. Yeah, Yeah, and I was also just thinking of the habit of reading that goes through social media. You know, everything you're kind of reading through the day on your phone, uh, any kind of, you know, social media 
presence at all in your life, you're reading Twitter or you're, you know, you're reading Facebook, Instagram might be a little bit more visually stimulating, but I was thinking about that as, as bringing us sort of trending down a little bit on, on how much we do read, just because you are reading through the day, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a different kind, form of exactly. reading. You yeah. take it in differently. You process it differently. Yes. And you don't, re- studies have shown that you do not recall what you're reading on those forms of media mm. as you do in book reading, mm. long form book reading, you retain it. So it's, it's a very different mo- part of the brain, I suppose, that's processing what yeah. you're doing. And maybe it's because it's so visual in addition to uh, having some text. Interesting. Andy, what do we want to talk about at the bookstore right now in our general malaise <laughs> that's going on? <laughs> yeah, we're hibernating. Month, yes. It's, it's our month of hibernation. Yep. Uh, we've come out of the holidays intact, and we, we have no scheduled events. We're just kind of... Uh, to some extent, getting ready for the season, but not knowing what the season is going to bring, we're just kind of saying, well, what mm-hmm. what are we going to do today instead of what are we going to plan for? Yes. And that's fine. It's kind of where we are. Mm-hmm. But um, we are, are instituting or maintaining our, our safe practices in the store with limited numbers and sanitized hands and masking, and we don't foresee that changing anytime soon we're getting used to it we're getting used to uh, wearing those masks i can't wait day. till we don't have to i know mm-hmm. it's who a ways knows, off who knows when that'll be <laughs> so the next thing i think that would be great to sort of dip into here is our indie bestsellers lists We've all got them in front of us, and there's all sorts of amazing things that are going on with in these lists. Does anyone have kind of a one that just really jumps out at them right now? Now, of course, to let the listeners know, we work with these in, these indie bestseller lists. They are divided between hardcover fiction, hardcover nonfiction, trade paper fiction trade paper nonfiction, and of course, then we've got some mass market bestsellers, and then uh, down into children's and young adult and juvenile. So we get those every week, and that's how kind of we get to test the waters and and know what's out there, what's trending. Uh, You know, you often kind of are perplexed by these buyers, like whether it be Jesse or myself or even Andy, like, how do you know? How do you know what to buy? And we have a lot of help. Yes, yeah, Jesse? Yes, we, we sure do. <laughs> um, it's also worth pointing out that the indie bestseller lists that we talk about each month, um, these books and book sales are compiled by independent bookstores all across the country. So this is not your um, your city market paperback rack or your New York Times bestseller lists even. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that these lists... Um, reflect a lot more character and diversity than those list other lists do that um, they might reflect the character of um, you know uh, real communities and real um, real um, just real character I guess is the word I keep coming back to and um, I definitely appreciate the the wide the wide variety of um, 
of books, both fiction and nonfiction, that pop up on these lists. I love how you said that, and, and I think that's important. I remember way back when, when I was at a bookstore in Logan, Utah, and the, the reason why Harry Potter sold at all was because of the hand-selling of independent bookstores mm -hmm. at the beginning. Mm -hmm. You know, and then it went into some kind of amazing zeitgeist. But that, you know, these these really are kind of a reflection of these independent hand-sellers selling these things and, and seeing what's trending. So, you know, maybe I'll just mention, because we talked about this idea of attention and what, what grabs our attention and Jesse, you mentioned even that word, and I was thinking on the uh, indie nonfiction trade, trade paperback nonfiction is a book called How to Do Nothing, mm -hmm. Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny O'Dell. She looks really quite young, uh, definitely millennial, raised on social media. And I've done some perusing through here. I haven't read it verbatim all the way through, but definitely got a sense for what she's, you know, trying to tell us in here. And, and really a lot of, I've seen this in a lot of places, both documentary style on how, you know, where basically our tension becoming a commodity. And so, you know, if you can get two seconds of our attention, that's going to sell some money kind of thing. And so she really kind of goes down that rabbit hole and, and not only talks about attention from a more abstract, more philosophical uh, perspective, but she, she gives you real alternatives, social media alternatives, community-minded alternatives, ways in which you can look at your phone and say, where is the superfluous attention? You know, kind of like what's drawing my attention and I don't even know it um, on my phone or mm -hmm. on social media. So it's, it, I think it's very definitely worth reading, definitely very timely. And uh, she's, she's kind of academic, I would say, but at the same time, I like that she kind of gives you um, statistics and also kind of ideas on how to, how to pull your attention <laughs> a little bit away from the competition, so to speak. So that one kind of excited me. One thing that struck me in looking at this list is the uh, mass market paperbacks. And I'm, I'm guessing this is more of a reflection on the fact that publishers are getting rid of mass market paperbacks. But seven out of the top 10 mass markets, bestsellers across the country are more than 30 years old. Yeah. The only contemporary things, two of which are Bridgerton, and we know why that is. Yes. And the third one is Brandon Sanderson's The Way of Kings, and he has a new novel in that that series, so that's brought that up. But other than that, you have 1984, George Orwell, mm -hmm. Dune, Frank Herbert, Animal Farm, another Orwell, a couple of dystopian uh, pieces there, the autobiography of Malcolm X, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, Women Who Run with the Wolves, and Diary of a Young Girl. Remarkable. It That's really amazing. is. Now, now most really of the time, is. mass market are genre fiction. It's it's mystery, suspense, mm -hmm. true crime, uh, westerns, and those are not fortes of independent bookstores either. Those are the city market aisles, the impulse type uh, sells. 
but still it's fun to look at these lists and what is working what isn't and why yes i mean dune's been there forever <laughs> it seems well and they're to gonna me. dangle that movie until <laughs> we die i think I think it's already out to next year so <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> jesse anything on those lists that are uh, either you're reading or you're excited about well i'm excited about a nonfiction book um that uh popped up on this uh last week's list it hasn't arrived at the library yet um, but it is called The Doctor's Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine. And it's been getting really great reviews and getting a bit of buzz already. Um, I'll read you just a little bit of the blurb. Uh, it says, Elizabeth Blackwell believed from an early age that she was destined for a mission beyond the scope of ordinary womanhood. Through the world at first, though the world first recoiled at the notion of a woman studying medicine, her intelligence and intensity ultimately won her the acceptance of the male medical establishment. This is in 1849 she became the first woman in America to receive an MD. She was soon joined in her iconic achievement by her younger sister Emily, who uh, apparently was actually the more brilliant physician. Um, exploring the sisters, allies, enemies, enduring partnership. Um, Janice P. Nimira, the author, presents a story of trial and triumph. This sounds really, really interesting, and um, uh, it sounds like a really interesting and exciting story and um, a really great piece of history. And mm. that, uh, that just came out on January 19th and should be arriving on the library shelves any day now, and I'm looking forward to taking a look at that. Love it. There's a few titles that uh, seem to kind of go along a more medical or health-oriented standpoint. We, we now have that Keep Sharp by Sanjay Gupta on, on the list now. We just got them. We just got one for you. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. It's been back-ordered for <laughs> yes, ages. Yes, it has. I've got a few patrons who are going to be really glad to hear yes, that. Yes, and we, we as well. And Good. this one is... Um, it's called Keep Sharp, Build a Better Brain at Any Age. That one actually looks like a great kind of how-to, how to eat, how to, how to exercise, how to do all of that based on keeping your brain sharp. Hence the title, Keep Sharp by Sanjay Gupta. And then also I wanted to mention The Body Keeps Score, um, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Folk who this is kind of, I, I, I don't know exactly what year this was published, but it's been a while. So again, Andy, kind of what you were saying, it's so fascinating to kind of see what moves mm -hmm. up to the top. Kind of Something, a nation zeitgeist. Yes, and, yes. You know, the political stuff ebbs and flows, the, uh, the poetry. We saw a lot of poetry coming in in the last year. Yep. And um, we see some classics reemerging. It's kind of fun. And I was... Years and years ago, uh, probably about the time of the third or fourth Harry Potter book, when you had three, I think there were three Harry Potter books on the top 20 or something. Mm -hmm. And at one of these conferences, someone said, well, that's a really bad sign that you don't have turnover on your bestseller list, meaning there's nothing good coming up to push these other books out. And when you have a stagnant bestseller list, not good. And I've always kind of wondered, is that really true <laughs> <laughs> or not? But, you know, you go to these conferences and the talking head 
acts like they know what they're talking about. So <laughs> I always think about what is the turnover mm-hmm. on bestseller lists. Yeah, absolutely. We Our- should bring in sometime the, the regional bestseller list too mm-hmm. and compare to see how it varies from the national bestseller absolutely. list. I remember again, uh, not Terry's last book, the book before that, uh, we worked really hard to get it on the national bestseller list because it was number one on the regional list for years and years, well, months and months. Which one was that, Andy? Uh, Do you remember it? I'm going to put you on the spot. You did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the National Park one. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And and indeed, we got it on the national list, but it didn't hang for all that long. Mm. But uh, we like to think we are the pace setters here of, of all things literary, but <laughs> maybe, maybe not. But speaking of regional literature, one book that, that struck me is an up-and-coming novel called The Center of Everything. And this is uh, Jamie Harrison's second or third uh, novel, Jamie Harrison, not the politician from uh, North Carolina. Rather, this is uh, Jim Harrison's daughter. And she's well-known as a writer uh, from a whole series of mysteries that she had written up in Montana. And now she's uh, delving into literary fiction. And she, a couple of years ago, won the Mountains and Plains, uh, Mountains of the... or. Uh, Yes. Uh, the award, uh, Readers, Readers of the West of the Award West, yeah. for Widow Nash, which sadly was a novel I could never finish. Um, so I'm kind of curious because I loved most of Jim Harrison's work, and that doesn't mean Jamie's going to follow in uh, his footsteps, which is probably good. Uh, but Center of Everything is a, another character-based novel that I, I want to pick up. Mm. Jesse, anything else on those lists that kind of... Makes you want to tell us tell us something about? Um, no. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I've, That's okay. I really see. I really see so many of the oh, same I know. titles in. Um, it's I've, true. I've, the, you know, the couple that I'm still interested in reading are I still haven't got my hands on, and I'm still interested. <laughs> Yes, well, them. we're going to move on to what we're excited about Let's as well. Let's do, let's do. So I, I did want to mention a couple of things. Parable of the Sower, Octavia Butler, uh, that's actually listed as number five or six, maybe seven, on the trade paperback fiction. Of course, if you haven't read that yet, please do. It's uh, amazing. And then also kind of thinking about general malaise and the ways in which we uh, take care of that, including maybe having a drink at the end of the night, you know, a little glass of wine. And so this is directly connected to one of the trade paperback nonfiction bestsellers called Quit Like a Woman. And I did peruse that one as well, kind of wondering what's going on there. And I did just want to mention it's called Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. And just kind of read a couple of things about this one I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, We live in a world obsessed with drinking. We drink at baby showers, work events, brunch and book club, graduations and funerals. And this is my caveat when there are there's a malaise in January in Moab. And then, you know, she kind of goes on to talk about alcohol's ubiquity. But I think what's really interesting is um, kind of the take she how she sort of looks at it. Um, She basically says, uh, fueled by her own emerging feminism, she realized that the the predominant systems of recovery, and this is what's interesting to me, 
are archaic, patriarchal, and ineffective for the unique needs of women and other historically oppressed people who don't need to lose their egos and surrender to a male concept of God as the tenants of Alcoholics Anonymous state, but who need to cultivate a deeper understanding of their own identities and take control of their lives. So I thought that was kind of interesting, not so much just from you know this idea of her relationship to alcohol, but her relationship to recovery from a, you could say, a more feminist perspective. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Okay, well, let's get to what excites us. I want to go to Jesse and see what (laughs) you are reading. All right, well, I have two books that um, I'm excited about. I'm going to start with the grown-up book, um, (laughs) because I love reading juvenile and and YA books as well. So I just finished a quite a hefty novel by Anthony Horowitz, who I'm uh, fond of. This one was called The Moonflower Murders, and it is book two in, um, in a series. The first book was called The Magpie Murders, and these are really, really well done. They are classic English murder mysteries really based on uh, like Agatha Christie style, very, very tightly plotted um, uh, rec- sort of recognizable characters and um, uh, one of my and they're very they're intricate and just satisfying the whole way through. Um, they are one of my one of the things I really like about them is they're sort of books about a book. So each of these books um, focuses around an author and a mystery series that he's writing. The protagonist um, and narrator of these stories is a young woman named Susan Ryland who works in the publishing industry, and she works um, editing uh, these these series of mystery books around a an ex. It's a German expat named Atticus Pund who lives in London, and he solves mysteries there. So as she's editing these books, uh, a, a mystery in real life in her real life. Um, crops up and she um she has to she has to figure out what's going on so she's not only editing a mystery book but she's solving helping to solve a mystery in real life (laughs) and you actually get to read the Atticus Pund book in the middle of um in the middle of the Moonflower Murders and the same the same thing happened in the previous book Magpie Murders which was really fun and it made me start to think about other books um, that are stories that center around a book. And um, I wondered, I have a, I came up with a really, really small, by no means comprehensive list of, of other books uh, Ooh, that, are, <laughs> that are fiction books about a fictional book. Sure. So my very, one of my very favorite examples is Carlos Ruiz Zafon, the Spanish author who wrote um, The Shadow of the Wind is book one. And that is one of the most lovely uh, gothic, literary gothic mystery books um, that I've ever read. And it uh, centers around an antiquarian bookshop. The, uh, and this, the son of the, the bookshop owner, Danielle, is our main character. And um, this takes place uh, as Spain is recovering from the Spanish Civil War. And it takes place in misty, foggy... Barcelona, and those are really, really delicious, and they center around mysterious books and texts. Indeed, a whole secret building called the Cemetery of Forgotten Books, which is a secret library. If you're very, very lucky, uh, you might get introduced to 
Um, a recent example is a book called The Lost Book of Adana Moreau by Michael Zapata. That just came out last February, so just a year ago. Um, that was that was lovely, sort of literary, uh, a little bit of science fiction thrown in, um, uh, a text that is discovered that should not exist, um, the possibility of parallel worlds and portals, and uh, traveling in dreams is brought up. Um, I my list could go on. I have a few other examples, but I wondered if you, uh, either of you, had any. Um, any examples of books, books within books or books about books you can think of? I feel like we're a little in tune, not just, I, I wasn't thinking particularly books in books, but writers on books mm. or books on books, mm. basically. And I created a list of um, books on writing. Mm -hmm. And so I'll, I'll, I'll bring that up a little bit later. Nice. Actually, I think that's, we've got some little telepathy going on where nice. our lists are sort of lining up nice. <laughs> very well. Well, um, I'll leave it at that, except to say that the Moonflower Murders book two um, in this series by Anthony Horowitz did not disappoint just as much, uh, just as much fun, and just as tight and uh, satisfying as ever. I really, really like a good English mystery, and this is just solid. Excellent, Andy. Let's let's uh, let you talk for a bit, and if you have a couple, feel free to give us one or two. Well, I'm going to start with. Um, I like Jesse how you kind of did some linking, mm -hmm. and one of Back of Beyond's favorite authors is David Roberts. And he's known probably for two main subjects of writing. One is mountaineering. He was a world-class mountaineer. But he also is a lover of the American Southwest. And he has some good friends here who he visits often. And we know In Search of the Old Ones, which was a look at the ancestral Puebloans. He updated that about 20 years later with Lost World of the Old Ones. And from that, he has spent probably more time in the Bears Ears area than any other part of the Southwest. And the link is there in the last two years have been a whole handful of books on the Bears Ears, uh, whether it's Ralph Barillo's uh, Beyond the Bears Ears. Torrey House Press has done a couple of compilations on writings about Bears Ears. Uh, David Gessner, we talked about his his book and Theodore Roosevelt and um, his saving uh, parts of the American Southwest through the Antiquities Act. And finally, Stephen Strom and his granddaughter published uh, a book on the Bears Ears and he did a photo essay on the Bears Ears. So there's a lot out there. So David Roberts comes along and says, I want to write a book on the Bears Ears. And I asked him, what, what's your angle? And he says, I really want to talk to the people on the ground. And that's exactly what he's done. And that's what he does best is when he knows the land and he knows the people and he forms them into a narrative. It's a, it's a very easy way to, to read um, his narration and you learn a heck of a lot. So he looks at the archaeology, but it's more present day. And uh, I'm, I'm so thrilled that he was able to do this. He's been suffering from a very devastating cancer. And yet he finished this entirely in the last year, year and a half. And he's moved on to a, a whole new book on a, on a climber. Um, Carter, who works at the bookstore, 
uh, said this is one of the best books he's read on the Southwest. And that's a, that's a good stamp of approval. And I agree. Is uh, it available, Andy, right now? to? No, it, it comes it, out yes. uh, this month. This month. Yeah. Excellent. So it's, it's forthcoming. Title again? It's The Bears Ears. It's called The Bears Ears. Subtitled, A Human History of America's Most Endangered Wilderness. And he, he does dive into the idea of, of should the Bears Ears have gotten monument status or should they have been left well enough alone? Of course, well enough alone, the uh, Anglos here have been looting the Bears Ears for 100 years. So well enough alone wasn't working <laughs> very well down there, even though there's some very remote lands yeah. uh, just to the south of us. Excellent. Well... I think I will go ahead and do the plug for something that is pretty obvious, I guess, something I would plug. <laughs> uh, the, so a collection of Joan Didion's essays just came out called Let Me Tell You What I Mean. And I, I wrote a little review in the Back of Beyond book letter, book, book newsletter <laughs> that came out today. And this did, kind of going back to what you were saying, Jesse, this did inspire me to think about books on writing. There is a, th this collection, I would say, it, there's a few shiny essays in here and a few not so shiny essays. It, it does seem like they just wanted some more Didion. And so it, it makes me think that they kind of said, hey, go back to your manuscripts, go back to your notebooks and let's get some more. Let's get some essays here, because a lot of them are actually quite short. But if you're craving this, these are never before seen or published essays. So if you're craving a little bit more Didion in your life, these are these are great. She she talks about there's some it's, it's interesting. There's some essays on there's an essay on um, Martha Stewart, <laughs> an essay on Gamblers Anonymous, uh, Nancy Reagan. And that's kind of her signature too. That there can be it can be quite eclectic. She's omnivorous. She, she is. Just, She's omnivorous. Just, yeah, she is just fascinated by everything and everyone. Uh, yes, I love, I love that about her. The but the chapter I loved most was why I write, and I do. I really do like to hear people's processes, not just writers, but artists, uh, musicians, anyone who is tackling or working with or or kind of moving through the creative process. So it had me kind of thinking about just the creative process in general. And, and she does a good job of kind of saying, essentially, I why do I write? I write entirely to find out what I'm thinking. I kind love of, the quote that you put in your review in the newsletter. Yeah. A little bit longer. That was really, that was really lovely. Yeah, that really, and it really struck me because I didn't put this in the, in the review, but she really kind of downplays this idea that she's a thinker at all, some kind of intellect. You know, she really kind of says, I sit down and I kind of ask these questions, but then she went on to say that she is also intrigued by the pictures in her head. So she, you know, come to find out in her process, she's quite visual. And what shimmers, you know, in those pictures is what she starts to, I would say, court. And not so much to come upon and grab, but to just keep observing, you know, why is that image there? 
and sometimes it can stay for years. So I thought that was amazing. So in thinking about the, the process of creativity and especially writing, uh, I've got a little list that I, we can, this can go into the archive as well, but I was thinking of um, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, On Writing by Stephen King, Bird by Bird by Annie Lamott, Steering the Craft by Ursula Le Guin, Letters to a Young Poet by Rainer Maria Rilke, Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg, and Faith of a Writer by Joyce Carol Oates. And I have read all of those. They're mostly on writing. The one I'd say is more fully on creativity is The Artist's Way by Mm. Julia Cameron. And that's an oldie but a goodie. It's about in every thrift store you'll ever go to in your life. But, you know, she really did something there. She has a a brand new book out, doesn't she? She does. I can't remember what she it's called. She has a brand new book out. Ring a bell. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think it's on listening, actually. Mm. Um, so anyway, that, that's kind of what led me down my little rabbit hole this, this, um, this month from Joan Didion's Let Me Tell You What I Mean, new collection of essays just out, yes. hot off the press. All right. You always yeah. Uh, yeah. worry a little bit about previously unreleased work. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like just like your favorite yeah. band who puts yeah. exactly. those tracks that ended up on the, the cutting room floor just because they have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but can Joden Didion write a bad sentence? You know, what's interesting, this idea of shimmer, she can write a less shimmery uh, <laughs> essay. I wonder if that's a lazier... It And it's really, uh, it's probably what ended up kind of on the cutting room floor, you yeah. know, and then they were kind of like... I don't know the, what the process was, but hey, we'll take anything. <laughs> you know, we'll take anything here because we want more Joan Didion. Uh, so, but and she, you know, she she collected mm. it. So, but it's still really amazing to uh, look at her sentence structure, and she does talk about learning how to write at Vogue magazine Mm. in the late fifties when she worked in New York. And she said it was, it was the kind of writing that gives you deadlines and you're, you have to be very succinct and really find your verbs. (laughs) She talked a lot about that, like, you know, not that one, give me something a little more exciting. And, And so she had this, uh, she really kind of sees that as her season of learning how to write, as opposed to being at Berkeley, necessarily. So, Jesse, what's next? Well, i um just going to interject. I listened to, I think it was on Selected Shorts, uh, a short story by Virginia Woolf. Now, mm. I am a little embarrassed to say I have not read Virginia Woolf before, um, but I think that I will now. Her writing in this short story was so, so, so... So much fun and so impressive. So this little story was called The Duchess and the Jeweler. And um, she's almost show-offy, but not. But it's still, she's so damn good at it that <laughs> you just, you cannot begrudge her. Um, I wrote down just two, two, little, um, two little bits that I just, just thought were so perfect uh, in this story. Um, we're in this uh, extremely wealthy man's home. He's a he's the, a jewel baron. He's the the most wealthy jeweler in all of London, I believe. Anyway, 
he gets a phone call and his phone rang obsequiously, which I just, <laughs> just absolutely love that. That is Virginia Woolf so right there. <laughs> and another character comes into the room and it's not a particularly nice person and it's, it's described that he's got eyes like licked stones. <laughs> that, just, is that is good. That just blew me away. <laughs> so so perfect i'm there that is good i have to say and i've never read the short story the story itself is quite it's quite fun and um she's just so sharp just Mm -hmm. razor razor sharp and uh i'm not sure i would like to be described by her myself (laughs) but i was i really enjoyed that story and i i have to say i just i love having stories read aloud to me and selected shorts on npr in your Mm. podcast it to you it's just just really really great um i would send you to orlando next that's a really great yeah that's I was where i'd go that. Yeah. Um, there's there's yeah there's quite a few choices and and uh i was gonna see if you had a mm-hmm. recommendation so excellent i might pick up orlando of course a room with or a room with a view <laughs> a room of one's own <laughs> a room of one's own and there is a room with a view too yeah yeah, Ian Forster. Ian Forster, yeah. a room of one's own is I would put that in my list. I should have put nice. that in my list. Oh, Why didn't sure. I put that in my list? What? Well, it's on there. What, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> Andy, let, we're, we're back around to you. Oh, man. I'm debating. Do I go I know. trashy <laughs> fiction or do I do something <laughs> with substance here? And I, on Facebook, am friends with um, Jody Patterson, who's a local archaeologist who recently received his pilot's license. And he's been posting some really startling aerial views of not archaeological sites but ruins that have not been excavated and in many cases you'd only know it from the air and that intrigued me enough that it it niggled my my brain that i went to my library and i pulled out a book that was published probably five years ago titled oblique views aerial photography and southwest archaeology which in and of itself is unique, but then you continue reading and it's Charles Lindbergh and Anne Morrow Lindbergh. And in the Mm. 1920s, Mm. this startled me when this book came out, in the 1920s, the uh, great Southwest archaeologist Alfred Kidder had found out the Lindberghs had done a lot of photography in Central and South America of archaeological sites. So he brought them to the American Southwest. He hired them, basically. Anne Morrow Lindbergh was the flying part of the two and Charles was taking photography as was Kidder and they they spent many hours up in the air photographing primarily Chaco Canyon, Canyon de Chez and also down in the Rio Grande Valley of New Hmm. Mexico and this is a book of re-photography where uh, Adriel Heise back in 2006 started to re-photograph what the Lindberghs had photographed back in the 20s. Rephotography is almost impossible to do. Wow. Aerial rephotography is perhaps even harder, except you have the ruins mm. as keystones. And it's it's just fascinating. I don't even know if it's in print anymore. We can look into it. But if anyone likes archaeology and the thought of seeing it from a, a higher point of view, it's fascinating. Which then leads me to a brand new book by local photographer Steve Mulligan. Uh, Steve is kind of a solitary sort, 
And this book, I think he spent eight years working on it, is titled Prehistoric Suns, Ancient Observations in the American Southwest. The, the idea of prehistoric suns comes from archaeoastronomy and all of these sites, especially on, on solstice mm. days, where there's daggers of light hitting a bullseye, or as we know in Behind the Rocks, the big snake, and a triangular shape of light hitting the snake's head right on the solstice. Well, Steve spent, uh, as I mentioned, at least eight years traveling the American Southwest photographing these archaeoastronomy sites in his large format camera. And it's a gorgeous coffee table book, and I'm just proud that, that our local photographer has put this out. So I, I encourage you to pick it up. Uh, the library I'm, I has it. Uh, we have copies. And, um, you know, it's in our backyard, and, and it's just a, a tremendous work of uh, scholarship. So congratulations to Steve. I wish our listeners could see. It's really a beautiful he did a great book. job. Yeah, yep. it's so well done. and it, Accompanied uh, by a couple of short essays that, that talk about archaeoastronomy. Yeah. So uh, that made me think about some months ago, maybe it's been a year or so, year and a half maybe, when we were in conversation and then going through the publication of Desert Cabal with Amy Irvine, and I remember a few times she, she said, you know, because she, she teaches, her and Craig Childs both che- teach at a low, I think it's a low residency program in New Hampshire, maybe? Yes, correct. Hope I got that right. They both teach there, and I, I imagine them as excellent teachers, both of them. Of course, they're of our own here in our regional community. And, and I remember her saying there was someone that I needed to look out for a memoir that was coming out, someone that she had actually taught. And then I kind of forgot a little bit and and uh, didn't really think much more about it until I started seeing this new memoir, this debut memoir, rise from the pile, I would say, from, you know, started to have some reviews out there, and I started to see it in multiple places. So I thought that I would, I'm about halfway through this memoir, and there's a beautiful um, thank you note to Amy, actually, in this, uh, in this memoir. And the memoir is called Aftershocks by Nadia Awusu, and I'm hoping that I, I'm saying her last name right, O-W-U-S-U. Again, it's called Aftershocks, a memoir, debut memoir, and she, she's you know, she was raised all over the world, actually. Uh, but I just did want to kind of give a little passage uh, here. And just so listeners can can hear about, you know, what this, what this memoir is all about. Young Nadia Awusu followed her father, a United Nations official from Europe to Africa and back again. Just as she and her family settled into a new home, her father would tell them it was time to say their goodbyes. The instability wrought by Nadia's nomadic childhood was deepened by family secrets and fractures both lived and inherited. Her Armenian-American mother who abandoned Nadia when she was two would periodically reappear only to vanish again. And it it starts with two things, um, an earthquake and then her mother visiting her with a red balloon. And so she, she kind of uses this 
these the metaphor of that tremor, uh, of course, even in the title aftershocks, to to take us on her. Uh, she ends up moving to New York, with and then she she arrived in New York as a young woman, feeling stateless, motherless, and uncertain about her future, yet eager to find her own identity. What followed, however, were periods of depression in which she struggled to hold herself and her siblings together. Aftershocks is the way she hauled herself from the wreckage of her life's perpetual quaking, the means by which she has finally come to understand that the only ground firm enough to count on is the one written into existence by her own hand. Mm. So I would say it's coming of age. It is... Uh, in some ways, I would say it's kind of that idea of what Joan Didion was saying. I'm I'm writing in order to find out what I'm thinking and uh, where my identity is in you know in this kind of very this life where she was really pulled quite a bit from any home that you know was e- any potential home, but then moving to New York and and things starting to kind of coalesce. So. That is Aftershocks, a memoir. So how are we doing? Jesse, are you, where are you at? Are you, do you have one more uh-huh, you can give I sure us? Do. Okay. First of all, I want to just give a little shout out. You, I'm sure everyone got to see the poet Amanda Gorman mm-hmm. um, read her poem, The Hill We Climb at the inauguration. Um, and I think that that was one of the most lovely and heartening things I'd seen in quite a long time. And I love that the, her, she's got a, this, this, collection of poetry is going to be uh going to be published in september and uh it's already that one of the number one bestsellers um for pre (laughs) pre orders which i think is really really wonderful if anybody out there hasn't had a chance to listen to her perform this poem uh, it's easy to find on the internet on youtube and it's worth um watching her uh, re- speak her poem out loud. And if you need some Amanda Gordon prior to that, the the inaugural poem is being published as a standalone mm-hmm. next month. Nice. March. Nice. Yep. Good, yep. good, good. So that was... Uh, and really there's fabulous. also a children's book coming out. Correct. And mm-hmm. that one is uh, illustrated by Joel Long, mm-hmm. which he, he does a, a good work. All right. I have a good friend who is a middle school librarian in Oregon State. And... Uh, she recommended, she texted me last week to say, you've got to try picking up this book. My library had it, thank goodness. And I am halfway through a book called The Remarkable Journey of Coyote Sunrise by Dan Gemeinhart. Not sure how to say his last name. This little book is um, absolutely adorable. This, this 12-year-old girl named Coyote Sunrise and her dad, who calls himself Rodeo, are traveling the country back and forth in a converted school bus, just the two of them. And we learn, uh, without spoiling the story too much, the setup is that um, mom and two little sisters were tragically killed about five years ago. It was too painful to stay at their home in Washington. And so um, Dad and Coyote changed their names and converted a school bus, and they haven't stayed still in one place very much since then. So the story is told by Coyote herself, and um, they are clear all the way in Florida when she she finds from her hears from her grandma 
that the park next to where they used to live is about to be demolished to build some houses. Well, shortly before her mom and little sister's accident, um, they had buried a treasure box altogether that had love letters to one another written inside this box. What do you love about your sisters? What do you love about your mom? They didn't read these to each other or share them. They just put them in the box, buried them under a special tree, and vowed to come back and get them someday. So she finds out that this park is uh, is going to get torn up by bulldozers, and she knows that she has to get back there to rescue it. But she can't tell her dad because <laughs> dad will just refuse. It's a it's an absolute no go. It's much much too painful to uh, to go back there. So she basically, in the most loving way possible, has to trick him into driving that school bus clear across the United States. Um, she does it in a little, she does it in little bits. So she's like, dad, I've got a hankering for a, this one pork, certain pork chop sandwich in, in Wyoming. Can we go? And you know, one place is as good as another. So dad's like, heck yeah, let's pack up and go get you your, your favorite sandwich. Well, they meet some wonderful characters along the way before, before we're even halfway into the book, we've got, uh, some extra passengers, including an adorable little gray striped kitten named Ivan after her favorite book, my, uh, the one and only Ivan. And before they let any passengers on board, they have to determine that they're not underage, they're not criminals, and that they answer three important questions correctly. <laughs> and uh, the questions are, what is your favorite book? What is your favorite place? And what is your favorite sandwich? <laughs> and <laughs> if you answer if you answer those questions with some heart um, with some heart and soul they will welcome you on that bus and uh, <laughs> I can't wait to find out what happens to Coyote and her dad <clears throat> and little Ivan and the friends the friends that they're driving across the country with <laughs> Love it. and uh, if they're going to make it back to grandma and to that, uh, that treasure box in time. <laughs> so again, the remarkable journey of coyote sunrise by Dan Gemmenhart, um, suitable for any age. I will tell you, um, not eight, nine, 10 years old, right on up to as old as you, as long as your heart is open, this book, <laughs> this book could be, could be a, a wonderful read. Andy, can you give us a final uh, note on a, what you might have called a trashy novel? Oh, well, <laughs> nah, that's uh, just a mindless uh -huh. diversion. Yes. O 11 Tell years us. ago, Brady Udall published The Lonely Polygamist, which was a polygamist with four wives having a midwife or a midlife crisis <laughs> and goes a off. Midwife. I'm like midwife. <laughs> a midwife crisis. crisis. Goes off and has an affair. Now we find... Kate Quinn, this is her debut novel, has published Black Widows. The subtitle is Blake's Dead, His Wife Killed Him. <laughs> the question is, which, which one? <laughs> yes, I love it. It's a polygamist <laughs> novel, and it takes place right here uh, in Utah. Mm. And it's kind of dark. Mm. I was hoping for something a little trashier and lighter. <laughs> a little lighter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it delves into uh, not only the idea of polygamy, but also the cult of polygamists. The psychology. Yeah, the yeah. psychology mm -hmm. of it. And so it, it does. It is dark. It is a little twisted. And uh, it's got a, it's a whodunit. Mm -hmm. And so if you want that style uh, set in our backyard... Uh, go for it. Kate Quinn's Black Widows, 
But I would also highly recommend Brady Udall's The Lonely Polygamist. It's more of a literary novel uh, than than I think Kate's is. Also a tad dark, too. Yes, absolutely. Yes, in, a, in the greatest way and possible. While we're on, where we're on Brady Udall, have you, I've got to say, The Miracle Life of Edgar Mint is one of the most wonderful, wonderful books ever. And, and then his, his short stocks, stories. Uh, the Hounds. The Calling in the Hounds. Calling in the Hounds. Oh, I think I it is. Oh, yeah. Nice. I, he writes a book every 10 years. Come on, Brady, it's time. You know, yeah. a little claim to fame with Brady. He married my high school friend in oh. uh, Tremonton from Tremonton, Utah. Oh. <laughs> and I do know that he uh, teaches. And so that kind of takes yeah. a good part of his time. Well, he was supposed to have come to Back of Beyond for Lonely Polygamous. And he was the last stop on the tour and he uh-huh. fell ill. And didn't really? make it. Oh. Very sad. Yes. Back to you, Always Sherry. You've got things. two minutes. <laughs> I know. I Well, actually, what I want to do is make sure that our listeners know where to find these lists. And thank you, Jesse. And thank you, Andy. We had another good time today. Um, and so to find these lists and to find where you can listen to this again, go to kzmu.org backslash radio book club and you'll find the archives and the reading list but don't be afraid don't don't fear you will see it all posted by friday that's what we got coming down from miss molly up here and then if you want to do a re-listen tomorrow or tonight because you didn't get enough of us (laughs) (laughs) uh to today's show it's up for two weeks on kzmu.org backslash kzmu slash calendar so we are going to sign off thank you listeners once again for a great uh hour kzmu radio book club every monday first monday of the month we'll see you in march and take care goodbye folks